Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. One of the coolest parts about working here at Ops Analytica is that so many of our new clients are switching to us from our competitors. And it's because we're the most technically advanced platform on the market today. And I ask them, like, what made you change? Why did you come here? And it's always basically the same story. We didn't know what we didn't know when we picked our first platform. We thought we're just going to do a couple of basic checklists, and that's all we're really going to do. And we didn't realize how addictive it would become to have real visibility, real data, real accountability, uh, just an easier way to manage our entire field organization, and how much easier it would be a corporate to go out and gather data too. And so then we start, once we figured that out, that this could be really powerful, we very quickly realized that the platform we bought, which was a basic checklist platform, wasn't capable of meeting our business needs, right? So now we're out looking at you guys. And that makes me so happy because we have built the best, most technically advanced platform in the space today so that your entire organization can benefit um, operationally from utilizing the platform and that you're gonna you're going to achieve your operational goals easier. So I invite you to just trust me that you're going to want more and come look at Ops Analytica. Check us out on a demo, opsanalytica.com. Thanks. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's me, Tommy. Woohoo! I'm back with another interview. Uh, please welcome to the show today, Michelle Falcon. Hello, Michelle. How are you, sir? Tommy, I am doing very well. Uh, I'm excited to be speaking with you. Oh, well, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us on the Order Up Show. Uh, so, Michelle, this is how it works. I ask everybody the same five questions. The first question is my favorite, so I'm going to go right to it now. Explain what you do today. But then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. I am a restaurant entrepreneur. I am a keynote speaker on the topics of company culture, leadership, and customer experience management. I've written a book uh, called People First Culture, uh, which touches on those three topics I just mentioned. I'm based in Toronto, and I'm growing my latest fast casual restaurant brand called Brasa Peruvian Kitchen to share the flavors of Peru uh, to millions of people. We're starting in Toronto. We have five, uh, we will be at five locations by the end of this year, 2022. Uh, but my, I wasn't raised in restaurants like many restaurants are. I, I didn't, although my father did own a restaurant when I was um, in my teens, uh, I took a more unconventional path to restaurant leadership in that uh, I was in business school in 2007 and uh, I soon realized that um, academia was was not for me in this respect of learning how to start and grow a business and I don't say that proudly I, it's just fact of the matter uh, so i didn't last too long in business school but what i did realize is that education is valuable maybe i can acquire it a different way uh, at the time i was living in vancouver tommy and vancouver canada 
and there were two very popular companies to to work for in Vancouver back then, and, and they still are. Uh, Lululemon, the athletic uh, apparel company, and uh, a more obscure company called One Eight Hundred Got Junk, and they started in Vancouver. Now they're all over North America and some international markets as well. But essentially, uh, if you're a business or a household, you pay this company to get rid of things that you know only want in your house anymore. Uh, a fridge, a bed, a love seat, whatever it might be. And the great thing about that story, or about the company, and why did I, I applied there, is it was, it was and still is a true entrepreneurial success story. Uh, the owner of the company, Brian Scudamore, starts the company by himself with a pickup truck and you know fast forward a couple decades and it's close to i believe a half a billion dollar company and that really intrigued me uh so i started off in the call center worked my way up got promoted five times in five years because uh, i was really committed to uh to the growth of my career and i had a i had a plan for myself and uh, this company gave me the opportunity to, it was my real world MBA. And then I got to see how you know, systems and processes are built for scale. Uh, and I knew I would use this education one day to start my own business. And uh, it's it's at one hundred got junk that I found uh, the strategies that I use today uh, for growth, which is applicable in any and all industries and that's company culture and customer experience management and at the time not many companies were talking about these two topics being company culture and customer experience management but uh one hand to junk was revered for being the early adopters of company culture in canada and i got a front row seat to really uh, see how it impacted the bottom line and growth and created uh, creating a company that you'd be proud of because you serve people, uh, not just customers, uh, but also your team members. And many of those strategies that I use, I, I, I use today. Um, you know, we haven't had a brass approving kitchen we haven't had turnover in seven months which is unheard of in the fast casual industry so you know we're doing something right and 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 we can kind of unpack some of the strategies in a moment but uh 2007 to 2012 was when i was at 1-800-GOT-JUNK 2012 to 2016 i was a management consultant working for myself uh helping companies apply these same company culture and customer experience strategies and uh, Tommy, I started the company. I moved back in with my parents. I was in my mid-20s to save some money as I was getting this company started. And I started it from their kitchen table. Um, and my first client was a moving company called Ferguson Moving and Storage. At the time, they were a $3 million company. Uh, and and you, would, you wouldn't believe it because I didn't at first. But the, my second client was Verizon Wireless. So I went from a $3 million company to a $100 billion company. And, and the first time I got that contact from them, it was from a gentleman named Troy Fairchild. I'll never forget his name because I thought it was made up. Not the name, but that somebody was maybe playing a prank on me. Uh, but they had sure. asked me to help. Sorry, say that again? 
Oh, no, I was saying, sure, I was agreeing with you. Oh, it's, yeah. You gotta, and when Verizon I, calls you and you're working at your mom's house, you're like, yeah, why not Verizon? Well, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think, you know, they may have a budget. Um, so yeah. I, I, the first question I asked myself was, is this real? And the second is, I don't even know how to submit like a proposal or like, proper like i better figure out how to send like a proper invoice um because you know this just got real uh but i helped them with some things regarding those two topics and it was good four years of consulting but i got lonely i you know traveling by yourself for work was fun at the beginning right? it was really exciting oh, yeah. but, it, but eventually those dinners alone um that feeling of joy was fleeting and I said I, I needed I need to be a part of a team again. I would like to lead a team and build something. Um, and it happened to be restaurants. Uh, I moved to Toronto from Vancouver, and my business partners and I uh, started a hospitality company, which went from zero to nearly twenty million dollars a year in sales to two hundred employees in two years. So that was really hard, and then um, but rewarding and, and hard, but like a good hard. Uh, can be very engaged and then in 2018 you know of course nobody was predicting uh, or very few people i think in this world were predicting a, a a world closing pandemic um but i told myself i said i want to do something else and fast casual restaurants were my was going to be my next act i'm canadian peruvian and if you know anything about the food uh, it is, it is, you know, really re revered and respected, um, but it's under marketed uh, to North Americans. And and I'll share a, a couple of statistics and, and facts with you, which are very eye opening. And often people think I'm I'm extending the truth, but Peru is the potato capital of the world with four thousand different types of potatoes. They hold um, the reserve uh potato seeds i believe it is uh or crop to be able to if there was ever a nuclear famine um there they have it in this uh museum this garden museum um peru has a hundred different types of corn they're the largest exporter of organic coffee in the world um chef nobu from Nobu restaurants. Nobu restaurants are Japanese Peruvian restaurants known as Nikkei. Uh, Chef Nobu started, got his uh, first start in operating a restaurant on his own in the 1970s in Lima, Peru. Uh, two of the top 10 restaurants in the world are uh, in Peru, known as Maido, uh, the, the two are Maido and Central. And uh, Japanese and Chinese cuisine highly influenced Peruvian cuisine in that the idea of fusion um, comes from this when two cultures of food come together. And that's because of immigration into the country in the 1400s, 1500s. Uh, so, you know, for me, Tommy, it's, it's been Canadian Peruvian knowing all this, but seeing the business opportunity and saying, can we create a brand around the Peru around Peruvian flavors and exports? Um, similar to how Starbucks created a brand around Italian coffee in the 80s and 90s. Uh, can we do what Chipotle did for the burrito? Uh, starting in in Denver, um, like two blocks like, from where I went to hotel restaurant school was the first Chipotle. 
Yeah, started by a gentleman named Steve Ells. And yeah. so so that's what I'm up to now. And, and thank you for giving me a couple moments to kind of share that career trajectory. It's had many twists and turns. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, do you know what you're doing? Uh, as in my parents said that in a very nice way when I left business school to go work for a garbage company. Uh, they're tra- yeah. they're South American, so they're tra- really traditional. But I said, you know, you got to trust me. And, and they have and they've supported me. And, and I'm here now. I'm, I'm 36 years old. And um, this very likely Brass Improving Kitchen will likely be the last company that I ever start. I love it. I love this industry. Oh, that's wonderful. So a couple of things about your sort of job trajectory. One thing I want to point out just to the listeners, I guess, is you cannot underestimate the value of working at really great companies. Yes. Like, like, and I always talk about when I worked at Quiznos, which was not a great company, but when I worked at the, when I, I in 08 worked as the, um, the franchise assistance program manager. So like I basically spent every day talking to people whose businesses were failing and I learned so much. I call it my second MBA because I had just gotten an MBA right before that. But it was my second MBA because I learned so much about bit, like actual business and, and the psychology that people were going through, whatever. Right? Like I learned so much in that role um, that, like, you know, that you couldn't get anywhere else other than working in that role at that time, right? I worked at PF Chang's when PF Chang's was like one of the hottest brands and I was a restaurant manager and I was a trainer and I was a waiter and, you know, and like, but I learned so much about running great restaurants by working at PF Chang's when it was the hottest, when it was on fire hot and it was doing everything differently. Right. And it's like, you worked at the junk company and it's like, you, you can, I guess for the listeners, like I, I guess my point is you can go out if you're thinking you want to be an entrepreneur, but you're not ready yet because you don't have the money or you don't can't go live at your parents' house for a while and try to figure it out. Like you, you can go and go get jobs at the best leading class companies in the world to pick up the skills that you need and know that, Hey, I'm only going there for, I'm here to learn how they do this one thing. And when I figure that out, I'm out the door, but go and utilize these businesses and these job opportunities to build your personal resume and your personal experience level and hop around and get where you want to go. You know? Yeah. I, I, I love learning from other industries. I I think it's, um, you know, just short-sighted only to look within your industry. I liked uh, the COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK at the time named Cameron Harold once told me, R&D doesn't have to stand for research and development. It can stand for rip off and duplicate. And um, yeah. I, uh, I I found that interesting because, you know, what, what he meant was go look at other industries and ask yourselves, would this work for us? Yeah, absolutely. I thought that's a great saying, by the way. Um, it is. Well, and also, too, I think there's a lot of value about jumping in between different verticals, right? Different industries um, to go out and pick up a skill. And like, because, you know, just because like, I'll give you an example. We were talking, you know, I think we still are to some dentist offices. There's like 400 dentist offices up in, um, 
in Canada, and we were talking to a, a group of 30 of them. What was interesting was a guy from Starbucks had gotten hired by these dental offices to become their director of ops. And he brought us in because he was like, I want to take what we do so successfully in restaurants and bring it to dental, right? Because they don't have processes and procedures like we do, that type of thing. And so that's why he had contacted us. But like, you know, hopping around, I feel like in general, there are so many people who their career just happens to them and they're just like, Ugh. and then there are people out there that are going, okay, I'm 22 now in my forties, I want to be able to do this, this, and this. And so I am going to, I'm going to navigate a career and I'm not going to look at it from job positions or titles so much as I'm going to look at it from a skill based. What skills am I going to learn in this job? What skills am I going to learn in this job? And, and I'm going to go accumulate those skills. And you'll see that a lot of time in restaurants too. You become the director of ops at a small restaurant company, and then you might go down a step at a bigger company, but then you might become the CEO of a small company again. Like you might hop up and down the size and scale of these businesses, you know, but you can still pick up all the skills you need. And so now you're the CEO, right? But you would never be the CEO of McDonald's, but you can be the CEO of a 20 unit chain in like Indiana you know, or wherever. So it's interesting that you bring up dentistry because I have worked with dental practices as well. I don't do a lot of consulting anymore, but from time to time I might advise and I've been, I've been hired by a dental practice here in, in Ontario also for the same reasons they, you know, what is the most hospi hospitable industry? Well, one of those is hospitality. And they wanted that element of hospitality from restaurant tours. Like we, the, the restaurateurs possess a great skill set. And I do think it's our responsibility to make ourselves available in one way or another to be able to share those educations with other industries if we all want and if we all strive to uh, be delivered exceptional customer experiences. So you could do that just by sharing tips on your LinkedIn, right? It's, it doesn't have to be for paid converse or paid time. It's, I, I do feel that we have that opportunity and, and I'll go even as far as saying that responsibility. Well, and we have a responsibility too, to legitimize the professionalism of our industry yes. because that's going to, a make it easier to recruit people into it right and b it means that if you decide that hey damn restaurants aren't really working for me with my life i got like a, a mom with dementia and young kids i need to maybe work a more nine to five type of gig that you can take that restaurant skill set and it should transfer into any number of you know retail and, and professional businesses because we are professionals uh in our in our industry uh so i think for sure you you know sharing that or, or legitimizing that what we do is important. And I would say this too, and I think I've said it definitely before on the show, the restaurant industry for as much crap as we, we get ourselves, we get from like, you know, make people make fun of us. All right, you're going to be a fry cook. Good for you. Blah, 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 blah. Like the restaurant industry has probably done a, is probably the best in the world besides maybe like NASA or the military at, taking very complex processes and breaking them down into very easy repeatable steps and then training people um, on how to execute them. I mean, like a Taco Bell, there's 7,000 plus Taco Bells in North America. You know, they're all just like 20 checklists that they just run at certain times of the day and they just assemble the same stuff. 
and the reason why we're better at it than everybody else in the world that does a lot of process and a lot of BPM is that we have one thing that none of those other jerks have to contend with, which is perishability. So I have to yeah. break this and all these other things, but I've also got a product that's got a half-life that's going away and my profitability of my business is in that perishability. So it just, we have one extra thing that makes us even better than everyone else at this. I full heartedly agree. Mm. Well, wonderful. We are in agreement. The eyes have it. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Well, it'd be Brass Improving Kitchen. I, we, after our fifth location, our sixth will be in the U.S. Um, we have not confirmed which market just yet, but uh, those conversations are happening. Uh, our, our vision is to introduce millions of people to the flavors and culture of Peru. Um, that's just not, you know, ingredients and exports. But once we've captured a customer's attention, whether that's we've served them a meal and then they subscribe to our email list or follow, follow us on social media, once we have their attention and we want to be able to share the history of the art, the music, the culture, tourism um and that really excites me you know i'm biased because i am canadian peruvian but it's a beautiful country that still has a lot of legs uh and a lot of room um for you know a massive market like north america to be able to adopt and learn um one of the uh, our missions and i call it i don't call it a mission statement anymore i call it a why we work so why do we come to work? Um, and this is verbatim word for word. Uh, it's to build a company that the world needs more of, one where everyday people are empowered to make great money, achieve career, achieve career growth, and help close the income inequality gap. And that last part is the one that I get asked about the most. And I, I do believe in making a profit, Tommy. Um, but I feel like there's a there's a right way and, and maybe a not so right way to do it. And we don't language in our company culture matters. Uh, we don't use minimum wage. We use starting income uh, in Ontario. Government imposed minimum wage is fifteen dollars per hour, um, and our starting income is nineteen. And we're still making a, a seventeen percent margin with room for growth. Um, and seeing what has happened during the pandemic, um, I don't like it. I, I think the middle class is deteriorating. I think, uh, you know, I, I know minimum wage in the U.S. and many states hasn't uh, increased in 10 years, I believe. Um, and I, I don't know how somebody, well, I don't want to know how somebody can rest well at night knowing that they're making a profit and perhaps doing well for themselves while their team, the individuals who are, you know, in my case, cooking the food, greeting our customers, um, are the ones that are, you know, just barely getting by. That concerns me. That doesn't align with our people first culture and, and the book that I wrote on that topic. Um, there's, you can still do well for yourself by serving others. Um, and the companies that I really admire are able to do this. And 
I could, I, I was interviewed a couple of times during the pandemic about this labor shortage and I, I never subscribed to that. Uh, I believed it was a revolt of individuals no longer wanting to work for very little with very little respect to match. Um, there are people that will do this work. And in my case, seven months, seven consecutive months with zero turnover is a testament to that. Um, and this is the big project. And like I shared a moment ago, this likely will be the last company I start because I'm going to give it my all. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and there are bumps and bruises and there are days where you, you, you feel like this is trying to, to, uh, to kill you. Uh, um, it's, it's, you know, my fiance told me the other day, she's like, how, you know, your life as a speaker and an author was quite easy, right? In comparison, I said, my goodness, it's not close to how difficult it is. To your point, you know, if it's not your perishable products, it's, you know, the construction of this next store, it's finding, you know, hiring, marketing, like it's everything. It's all encompassing, right? Um, but I, I do love it. Uh, as we were on this call, uh, recording this podcast, I something caught my attention on my phone. Uh, and um, we use net promoter score as one way of many in how we survey our customers after they've uh, purchased from us. And uh, I, I got a notification on my phone that we got a promoter. And, you know, that feeling will never get old. I, 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 there may be a point in time where we're getting so much feedback as we scale that maybe I'll need to discontinue it um, because it's just too many notifications on my phone. But that feeling of like, oh, like we did right by one customer. Um, Absolutely. I, 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 I'm not exaggerating, but that feeling gives me more joy than a PL that I get every month that shows a profit. Um, because it, it, it just does. And uh, maybe it's hard to describe. Um, but I, this is the next big, big project and, and it has me fully engaged. Money is money, right? When you don't have it, it really sucks. When you have a lot of it, it's really great. But it, but it loses its, it loses its luster over time, right? Like so my buddy, Jeff, uh, who's a multimillionaire, and I love his story. I don't want to get into it right now. I should bring him on the podcast, actually, now I say that. But, like, because he he took a $20 million guarantee to get, like, to buy this company that ended up making him a multimillionaire. But he still put $20 million. And his wife's like, how much? He's like, don't even worry about it. Because if they call this loan in, we're your toast. Like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> what, it doesn't matter how deep the ocean is. I'm still drowning, right? But right. he ended up working out for him. But, like... uh but I asked him one time, I go, you know, and this has always been my theory and I, and he confirmed it. He's like the first night that you're a true millionaire, right? Like you're a millionaire and you can go look at your bank account and you see all those zeros behind it. And uh, he's like, it is like the best night ever. But then the next morning you wake up with all the same problems. Your mom's still sick. You know, you yep. still have a bad ache, you know, you, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But like, when people you when people love the thing you created that feeds your soul more than money now if you were losing your ass right now and you like got 
a big order, you'd be like, oh my gosh, thank you, God, go 10 more hours, right? <laughs> but like, you know, that doesn't seem to be your problem. You have a 17% profit margin or net income, whatever margin. So you're doing okay there. You have cash coming in. You see a repeatable process. But now is about the time of making believers in the brand so that when you go to open restaurant 20 or 30 or 50, you know, that's like without those believers that go, why don't I have one of these in Vancouver yet? And you're like, well, we're coming to Vancouver. Yes, I can't wait, you know. Yes. Um, and, you know, we get the same thing with our company because we started ours from scratch in 2015. And it's like when people just re-up, you just send them the contract and they just re-up and they don't hammer you on price and they don't like it. You know, they're not jerks and they're not like, oh, my gosh, blah, blah, blah. They just like send it back in with a check and you're like, what? Yes, they're seeing value. You know what I mean? Like we have built something that they see value from. This is amazing, you know, because yeah. what people don't realize is getting these people in the door is not a given, you know, you got to kill yourself to get them in the door. And then once you get them in the door, then you have to control everything you need to control to be great. Just so they'll want to come back, like getting them in the door, is like climbing Mount Everest and then you get them in the door. You got to be flawless because they're just yeah. looking for something to get pissed off about. Well, yeah, the same goes for uh, con construction and in, in anything, really. I was talking to my friend about this the other day. It's like, okay, great. You don't have a time to celebrate uh, after construction's done of your new restaurant or your retail store uh, because immediately go into operations. Like, there's yeah. not a moment of joy, which is why construction is so challenging. Uh, that's one of the reasons why, but, um, yeah, I, I, I you, money is one thing and yes, it is a measure of success. Um, but, uh, there's gotta be a deeper purpose in what you do because you're not going to attract great people if it's only about money. Um, yeah. because not everybody has a profit sharing program or, you know, incentives or compensation tied to that. So what they look at is, well, what's in it for me? And you really Absolutely. have to ask yourself that, like, what's in it for the team? Um, because that's how they measure success, right? Um, yeah. Because not everybody's an owner. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and, it, it, you know, going back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier, too, is not every, the great companies don't have a labor shortage. My buddy runs like a, I don't know how many units there are now, 20 or 30 unit um, sub chain here in town. And they pay 15 an hour, I think, starting here. But then they get tips and they're all making like 20. Now, wait, they pay. These guys are making like 45. They're, these sub makers are making between like around 45K a year making sandwiches. And they have, they have when they do have turnover, it's always a guy brings a friend in, Hey, you want to make better money? You want to make 20, 25 bucks an hour? Come work here. And so they, they have very little turnover. And when they do the jobs get filled immediately with friends of people that already worked there that have been waiting to get on the schedule. As long as, you know, they've been hoping somebody quits so they can get the work there. And yeah, I think they give out, they had the bennies and all that other stuff, but you know, it, it's crazy, but here's the, here's the conversation I want to have which is, so I have a mod pizza and I, I played 
cards with the mod pizza guy uh, at a, an event one time and he owns all the mod pizzas in Denver. And he was like, yeah, in our Highlands ranch store, we really have a hard time staffing. That's where I live south of Denver. Um, we have a really hard time staffing because we just don't like people don't want their high school kids to work there, which I thought was a kind of a cop out thing because like literally I think maybe a, a thousand feet away from that mob pizza is a Chick-fil-A. And if you go to that Chick-fil-A, and they literally have like on busy night nights in the drive-thru, they'll have five or six kids, like all high school kids, like outside taking orders simultaneously. They literally walk by your next to your car with a tablet, yeah, all the way as you go around so that they can get more orders in faster, right? Of course. And yeah. so, but then that right next to that Chick-fil-A, like I don't know, I would say 500 feet away, not even that far, like a hundred feet away, is a Wendy's. And that Wendy's I've been to several times where the person's taking the order is also cooking the food. So right. my question is, right? So obviously you have like, you have a dichotomy of like three businesses, all major national brands, right? That are doing great, have great products. You have the Chick-fil-A that's doing the best financially and has all the employees. You've got the Mod Pizza who's struggling to get employees, but is still busy. And, and, and I don't see him being completely understaffed. And then you got the Wendy's, right? So many of the restaurants in the world are in that 80% of the Wendy's group in this use case, right? They can't get anybody to work there because they have no culture. Well, I don't know why they, well, they can't get anybody to work there. And, you know, and I see, I watch their signs, 15, 17, I, I have a restaurant across the street from me, $19 an hour right now, 19, which is what you're paying. But I mean, in the U.S., that's unheard of, Right. They can't get people to work there. How do you flip that around? Because not everyone's a Chick-fil-A, right? Not everyone's a, a Brock. Yeah. And you know, that this is the thing that I, I know the answer to it, at least according to what I believe. Um, but if there are enough use cases that developing a great culture, one that team members actually want to come to work at pays, why doesn't everybody do it? Right, like we have the case studies, uh, yeah. Chick-fil-A being one of them. But you know, I, I like my reasoning behind this. One is uh, short-term versus long-term thinking. Yeah. Uh, when I invest in relationships, whether that is in a relationship in the workplace or at home, so workplace being our team members, home being a spouse, let's say, or maybe a family member or friend that investment of time and energy whether it's a training program for your team members that you want to build out so they're set up for success to deliver a great customer experience or you know picking up a friend from an airport let's say you're not going to see the roi of those efforts right away the training program might cost ten thousand dollars or whatever it might be uh it takes a little bit of time and then it needs to be deployed and you don't see the uh, fruits of your labor uh appear instantly versus um uh, exhibit b let's say or opportunity b is tommy invest ten thousand dollars into facebook marketing and you'll see some click-throughs within 24 hours and maybe somebody will purchase right maybe. yeah I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders will gravitate toward that because at the end of the day, they're, you know, in the business of immediacy. Uh, whereas what about long-term thinking? I think everybody's want, well, everybody hopes to be in business 10 years from now, I would imagine. Um, 
So that's one thing that I'm seeing companies, you know, leaders uh, not be willing to invest in some of the material things or the foundational things in building uh, a people first culture. Um, but here's another thing. <laughs> some people are just jerks and they don't know how to treat people well. And no, our industry is full of Oh my benevolence, benevolence, uh, Howard Bihar is, um, he wrote the forward for my book. He's the former president of Starbucks, uh, uh like global. And, um, he, um, he really talks about, uh, servant leadership and benevolence of being kind, but m mixing that, coupling that with performance like your people first culture should the output of that should be a high performing team right it's uh you know just because you offer these perks and high pay uh, my expectation is that we don't just have a smiling culture people are happy and engaged i expect them to perform right those those things like benefits cost real money and the bank doesn't care if you have a great company culture <laughs> they want to make sure they want to see that you have a profit right so um that's what i'm seeing and you know I, there's a way that i want to operate my business and, and this is the way that i've chosen well and the issue the, well i wouldn't say the issue the challenge you will have is that you have three right now right or you have i was looking on your website uh you have two with one coming and then two more coming after that is at some point you won't be able to be in the restaurants you know you'll be able to pop in and say hello but at some yes. point you'll be in the office and then then it really is about did we how did we did we create the system to screen the people that matched our culture because yes. that's really the testament of the culture is it's beyond the leader itself because my biggest complaint was and I, I, you know i worked at um i worked at a company i'm not going to say the name and 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 we you know and they were all culture and, and then we spent so much time training the culture blah 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 blah. but then our owner was stealing money from all the like, illegal immigrants that were working there so he sat there on one hand and talked about you know and then the, the overarching company's culture and then you know we had the operating partner level and that guy was like stealing money from the employees and he how he was doing it was he was rolling all their time back to 40 hours a week so they were illegals um, and so, you know, they were all the kitchen employees. And so he would just every Monday morning before he submitted a time roll, just give everybody, they might've worked 67 hours. He would just give them 40. And then he would just, you know, he had perfect books, but then, and so he made more money because he got profit sharing. But then those people that was kind of a, well, quit, but you're an illegal and we know you're an illegal and what are you going to do type of thing? It was total BS. Yeah. And by the way, I will tell you that we found out about it. And we like did we found out we like got proof we called corporate they came in they fired the guy he had a huge buyout that he lost like millions of dollars and wow. he was ordered off the property so the company once they knew he was doing that did the right thing right but you know it's hard you know people it's like everything else it's like you know uh, homer simpson's famous quote uh communism works marge in theory you know like people always screw everything up right but like it's you know it's like uh, people always screw stuff up and and i truly believe that like people are looking for you to fail when you do a bunch of culture training just maybe it's just my own cynicism right 
But like, I think culture needs to be lived, right? And I think culture needs to be lived in a pre-shift meeting versus an introductory training. I think pre-shift meetings are the most important thing restaurants should be doing every day. Five minutes right before the shift, the doors open up. Hey, let's all talk and on the same page. This is what we're 86th on. You know, how, like this is a great story. And I came to that whole Ritz Carlton training thing. So they had a whole great way of doing it. I liked it, but I'm digressing here. I feel like you've got culture is hired and led. It's not taught because when you teach it, it's this hollow words. When the leader in your building isn't living up to those words, then you just go, this whole place is BS. This whole culture is BS because if they can, Bobby wouldn't be yelling at me. You know what I mean? So I, I think culture is something you got to hire. Yeah. And, and this evening, my, this is my, and this evening I am getting some work done and it is work that I very much enjoy doing. And it's, I'm refining our employee journey map. So everything from how we recruit, interview and onboard, I'm looking at that from kind of 20,000, a 20,000 foot aerial view and seeing how can we get this, make this better? How can we make sure that we're hiring like, we would be inviting guests to a wedding, right? Sure. At a wedding, you don't just invite everybody, right? You yeah. you have a criteria for who's going to be there, and then you seat them in the appropriate places, and 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 this is it. Like I know some some entrepreneurs and leaders and restaurateurs that you know if you have a pulse, they'll hire you, and uh, yeah. then they, they they wonder why they have such high turnover, but um, but it's also like, do you have a culture worth coming to see? Is there a reason other than a paycheck and why that people would want to join me? Uh, but then yeah. also staying very, you know, our culture at Brasses is, is is pretty intense in that like we expect performance because we expect to also give you benefits, high pay, uh, a, a great wage and uh, great people to work with and so forth. So it's not for everybody. And, and when creating your culture, you have to be, prepared to be misunderstood in that some people won't like what they see and that's fine you're not building something for everyone it's impossible to do this uh you know amazon there's a lot of stories about how people don't like working at amazon but i'm sure that you'll also find more people that love working at amazon it's just like you know there's you know, so there's maybe that's kind of a, a controversial kind of take, but yeah, I think it's, uh, but it's there's some people who like being busy from start to finish and being stressed and running around because they're bored if they're not right, and like that's a lot of kitchen people. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like one of the biggest things that kills restaurant culture is slow sales because then everyone's yep. bored and you know that whole thing if you have time to lean you have time to clean like like the slow restaurants are always the ones that have the worst culture because they just are getting anybody who wants to work in a slow restaurant you shouldn't want to hire them because they're not the right person for your restaurant definitely not for me um there's one thing that i learned from netflix in sticking to the theme of learning from other companies uh what i learned from netflix was um the idea of talent density and in yeah. short, it's pay more, have less people. However, yeah. these less people need to be need to perform like they're one and a half people. And this sure. is what we tell people in the interview process is that this is 
how big your team is, this is how big your team will be. This is how many customers we serve in a day. So then they can you know, compute that, hey, this is going to be a busy place. Like if I am cut from the cloth of, I just want to show up and check in and check out with little engagement. This is not for you. And, you know, our teams are busy, but they also rather uh, be in this fast paced environment, earning the money that they do rather than a slow environment with less money um, yeah. than pay. So it, again, it's not, you're not building something for everyone because if you do, you're, you're going to suffer and you're going to get demoralized. And then you're going to say company culture doesn't work. Well, I would argue that it does. Um, I going with this to your point of how do we scale while preserving the culture? That is the next great challenge. And thankfully for my time at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I got to see that firsthand. How do you scale in multiple states, multiple countries, while preserving the culture. It is hard. It is extraordinarily hard to do. But for me, I, I love a good challenge. And the, the, the position that is most important in our company, and I'm not just saying this, it's the general manager. Because at head office, we can build all of the systems and process, but ultimately it comes down to the execution at the store, at the retail level. And it's those individuals, our general managers, that need the most amount of support to be able to execute on the vision. Uh, so we have a lot of systems and processes in place to be able to serve them. For example, our mystery shopping program is not to be penalized. It is to you know, ensure that we're expecting what we expect and use it as a coaching tool. Um, do we have to use it as a tool for reprimanding or you know, giving people warnings? Yes but it's the way that we deliver the information that's uh, important. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to scaling this. It's going to be hard. And I know there's going to be some days where I say, oh, I missed my life of just speaking and, and being an author because I was pretty manageable. Um, but uh, like I said, I love a good challenge. And this one's definitely going to pose that. Well, and it's, it's interesting too with the, with the culture thing. And you, I think you said it, it's the GMs and the DMs. Those district are generally positions, yeah, the district managers. Yeah. There's generally positions where you take the best guy from the position before and you put him in there. But like they really do need to have like GM school and DM school because like generally, like when in full service restaurants, as an example, you know, a lot of times the best bartender or waiter becomes the worst entry level manager because they don't know what to do and they don't get the training. Like you need to have like an official like school or online course or something training, right? To teach somebody that like, you know, for the GM position, it is about like living and breathing that culture and, 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 hiring the right people and it's not just about sitting in the back and doing numbers and making the schedule it, you know it's about actually like cultivating the team and keeping them happy and you know all those things and then from the dm always one to two is harder than two to a million like that's a coding thing but it's true in businesses too like you know it's easy to manage one when you're a gm but when you can't be how do you exert your influence over two when you can't be in two simultaneously you can only be in one right and then obviously usually dms get like nine or ten stores on corporate owned stores but you know what i mean so it's kind of like that level 
And those two roles really do need a full, it's like, you can't just go, Oh, Bob quit. You're now the new GM. It's better just to have a bunch of like assistant managers just getting by for a week or two. And then you pick the right guy and then you take him to school and you get him trained for a couple of weeks, not just on the tasks, right? It's easy to do the tasks. You know, I'm, I have task software. I can make people, I can tell you exactly what you need to do every minute of the day, but it's the people leadership part. That's the important part that you have to train somebody on because that's where they fail. And then everyone quits because they start yelling at everyone. And then you, yeah. you uh, blow it. I, I've seen this or heard stories of this, you know, countless amount of times. And it's almost like self-inflicted wounds, right? Oh, this is hard. This is hard because the team keeps turning over. I have to keep training. I have to keep recruiting. It's expensive, but you know, it, it's, it's happening for a reason. <laughs> and, uh, you know, taking an honest look in the mirror could uh, be very valuable for some individuals, including myself, right? I'm constantly auditing my leadership. I'm asking my team members for, for feedback all of the time. And um, it stings sometimes, right? When you're a well-intentioned person and, and you get feedback that might not be so flattering, it, it, it can sting but you have to look past that really quickly and look you know identify is this factual and if it is what can i do to fix this is this a, a one-off circumstance or is this a habit in my leadership um yeah. I, I can tell you things will become infinitely um more manageable if you can figure out the people part because you genuinely have people who care and are going to support you so for us, like our net promoter score as one metric of uh, our performance, one of many, um, one store is at 69, the other store is at 73. That's now the benchmark. And, and that's extraordinarily high in the food space, the restaurant space. Um, but that's the benchmark. Now we'll never go below that, right? It's always got to be in and around there. Um, so that'll be another scaling another scaling challenge uh but you guess what it comes down to it comes down to people it's people that make our food and people that greet our guests and we have to focus there and it has a the lion's share of our attention well and the reality is too going back to like the question i posed like 15 minutes ago was if you're the wendy's how do you fix it you fix it by getting in there and you fix it by getting the right gm in there and it might be you, you might be, you might own 20 Wendy's, but you might have to go through each one of your Wendy's and work at them for six months and turn each one around and get it on the right trajectory. And, and it's going to take time. And by the way, you might be pissing off people at all your other Wendy's simultaneously, but you have to get the right, you have to get the right guy in there that can get the right GM in there and build that team up and get them on a good foot. And then wean you kind of wean themselves off that above store leader, whatever it is, and, and you go focus one store at a time. There is no magic wand fix. I can't just add a new system that's going to change the, the culture in each and individual location where we can't hire anyone. You know, you got to go in and solve the problem as the leader, get the right team in there, get them trained up, buoy them up with support, and then you can move to the next one. And you might have to do that for three years to hit all your restaurants. You know what I mean? I don't know how long it's going to take, but you, that's the only way you can solve a problem like that. And if you choose not to, then you'll continue to suck. And that's just what it is, right? Like, period. So, 
Yeah, that that hey, I mentioned something earlier as well about inspect what you expect. Um, yeah. So that that's got to be a habit. Uh, yeah. Before, and, and that's a preventative measure. Uh, you know, there's a certain way I expect our customers to be greeted. You know, within you know, there's uh, some opportunity. It doesn't have to be an opportunity to kind of innovate. It doesn't have to be word for word scripted and how we greet our customers, but there's a few points that I want to hit. Um, you know, I expect our source to be extraordinarily clean. Um, so we got to, you know, on a monthly basis, we're always auditing all these things. And that's the best way to prevent anything. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's go to question number three. I know that we do our, we've been talking. Uh, we're coming up with five minutes left. Do you have a hard stop? If you do, we're going to bang through three questions really quick. If you give, if you can go a little bit over, we might I can go a little over. over yet. All right, cool. Then we don't have to rush. Uh, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Sales cures all. Um, so I would like us to uh, we grow organically. Um, we don't do a lot of advertising. Uh, so what is keeping me up right now is what are some cost effective measures of being able to grow our top line sales? We you know coming out of the pandemic, Toronto was the most restricted city in the world. And we are still trying to find its normalcy. Our catering needs to grow. Um, but our office, we primarily do office catering. We need people back into their offices to be able to expand that. Um, but just thinking of like, okay, how we, we would have opened five locations during the pandemic. And now we have a, a potential recession barreling down on us perhaps. So I'm getting prepared for that. Uh, if that's the case, cause I have this terminology called the light, light switch strategy so that we're going to build the plan right now for something that I see barreling down on us. If it, um, does happen, then we turn on the strategy flip the switch if it doesn't we just leave it in place um so that's kind of what's keeping me up right now is like how do we navigate this pandemic that hopefully is coming to an end uh but what if something else comes you know is presented to us that's going to stop us um and that's good leadership as well making sure that we're not remaining flat-footed but that is it's just sales like all of our systems and processes are in place to ensure that we do right by our people and uh are able to turn a profit but you know i want to continue to grow our sales and i and i love doing it organically uh by way of repeat customers and you know organic referrals um one indication is how are your reviews and our reviews across the board are great uh but we need we need, we, we want to earn more customers organically absolutely yeah that's i mean we've kind of done the same thing it's uh we haven't like uh you know we just said you just gotta like take care of people that the, the best thing you can do is just if you take care of people then they will they're your best advertising source and period so yep and it it you know our, our customers expect not just a great product but a, a great experience to match that and if you can deliver both, you can start having sales that are almost predictable in a way um, where you know that, hey, we're going to budget 
for this amount of sales uh, because we typically see this many customers, um, repeat customers. And we're able to track that um, through our website ordering. So uh, and again, it comes down to people. That's really cool. Uh, what is the one thing you thought that your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? I, that's a good question. I'm torn between one of two things. Um, yeah, I, I, I would, well, let me share both. One, um, I would have thought I would be hearing from more restaurateurs, uh, focus more on their culture, given what had happened with the pandemic with this quote unquote labor shortage, but I'm not seeing a lot of it. I, I don't talk to every restaurateur, but the ones that I do, it's, you know, I ask, like, where is this in your level of importance? Um, and I don't, I'm not hearing things that are extremely promising. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and the second thing is the relationships that we have with third-party delivery companies. Um, I, I've heard third-party delivery companies be considered, um, a necessary evil yeah. and i understand that sentiment i really do um but if you're able to still use that as a channel for customer acquisition and still make a, a modest profit off those customers let's say it's you know two to five percent um that still helps with your acquisition now it's your responsibility to get them to go from third-party platform to own the platform ordering so uh yeah. through your email list get them on your email list get them to order through your website you know like I, I i am speaking at the restaurants canada show this week um alongside uber eats and we're talking about our relationship that we have and what we've done and you know for if you're going to be a people first culture type company you must treat everyone with the utmost respect, whether they pay you or you pay them, uh, whether they're a supplier or you know your bank, whoever. And one of the things that we do for Uber Eats drivers, um, we every Uber Eats driver that comes, literally everyone, we will ask them, "Have you been here before?" If they say no, we say, "Just so you know, you're welcome to use our bathrooms and point them to where they are." You can help yourself to free coffee, which is a self-service station for them and them only. Uh, help yourself to a cold ball of water. Um, and you get 50% off our food, just like our team members do. And oh, Tommy, nice. yeah. And you know, why do we do this? Well, of course it's it's a nice thing to do. Um, if we, we see them as an extension of our company. Uh, but you know, that, that Uber driver, the amount of times that we see people like literally like tell us like wow that's so generous thank you for treating us well um isn't it good business to be able to do that because maybe that airbridge driver will, will get your meal there four minutes before uh, you know somebody else might deliver it because they really liked how they were treated uh, might they handle your food with maybe a, a little just extra more care? Uh, I think they will. Um, and we built a, you know, Uber Eats found out that we were doing this for our drivers, for their drivers, and, and they really admired that. And now we're growing the relationship. And, you know, I, I have some leverage now. 
I can go to Uber Eats and say, I would like to renegotiate that commission that we give you. And it works. And I think one, one other thing too is order accuracy. I can't tell you how many times these guys just grab the first bag and they don't look at maybe for the second bag and then you get yeah. like and yeah, I, okay. well said. You know that and that's just my biggest pet peeve in the world is order accuracy right now there's nothing more frustrating than getting your food home you're all excited to eat it and then you go to get your queso and it's not there and you're like and then you know they don't they'll comp it super fast for you but it doesn't matter because i ordered queso to be part of my meal you know and it's always I when know. you go out of one bag like if you start ordering a bunch of salads and then you have tacos and there's one company in particular that I'm mad at all the time because every other time they miss something. But like it just that drives me insane. But that's that's part of the it's part of your employee letting them know, hey, there's two bags on that order. Like there's got to be something on the register tape or something that says there's multiple bags. But then number two, it's also that Uber Eats driver having you know, they're earning, they get a fee and then you tip them, right? So they're getting money from the customer too. So it's like, take three extra seconds and look to see if everything's on the order. I know you can't rip open the bag, but like, you know, is there multiple bags? Ask the guy at the counter, is this everything? You know, because sometimes something hasn't come out yet, you know? Um, but yeah, so I can see where, what you're doing there makes a ton of sense. And it's really like at the end of the day, if nothing else, that guy's a potential customer. Uber yeah. drivers are out all day long. So they're gonna be they're going to eat out while they're working their shifts, you know? Exactly. So and yeah. It's also uh I, I, I was um I was reading something that uh, the Canadian government was uh thinking of making it illegal to not allow people to use your bathrooms um now That's i don't need it's a little <laughs> much i don't i don't need the government to tell me that that's right or wrong um but uh yeah i i i that was an easy decision for us well and the reality is too is what is your culture if it's not applied to everyone right yes so like the second class people but everyone else isn't like you don't I worked at this place called the Grove in Los Angeles. It was a mall and it's a fancy oh, mall. Yeah, of course. I'm very familiar with the Grove. Yeah. So I was one of the opening concierges there. So like in 2002, I worked there and we opened the property and, you know, um, Rick who owned that mall and many other big malls and a very wealthy guy. But he, we, we went through that uh, Rich Carlton training program. Um, you know, the same one that Rich Carlton uses where you walk people to things and, you know, all this stuff. But he was like, you know, there are going to be people that are going to come in here and they're going to try to scam us. They're going to absolutely try to scam. They're going to lie to you. They're going to, you know, just try to trick you into giving them something for free. Right. He's like, it's not worth it. He's like, just give it to them with a smile and move on because it's not worth pissing off somebody who was actually a person in need because you thought they were trying to scam you. Like, that's not your job. Your job, like it doesn't, it's not gonna hurt. It's not gonna like break the company if we give out free parking or some movie ticket or something to somebody. Like just take everybody maze balls because you don't know when that, you know, you don't ever want to make a misjudgment and treat somebody who was actually genuine poorly. And uh, it, it's such a, you know, you either treat people good or you don't, period, so. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I fullheartedly agree. Um. Oh, and then going back to the culture thing, you know, I think one thing that kills the restaurant industry over other industries, right, is that we don't ever get any downtime. I mean, most yeah. restaurants are open 363 days a year. They're closed on Thanksgiving in the U.S. and uh, Christmas Day. And some might close on New Year's. But uh, for 363 days a year, you know, 12 to 17 hours a day, you know, depending, we're open for business. And so I think like, that's why I see restaurants have such a hard time doing things. And when we're selling to people, we're always like, if this person has any kind of restaurant responsibility, then we just know the deal is going to take forever or it might not even happen because they can't just literally, like it's just the demands of, of fixing anything or even just stopping for five minutes and thinking critically about what's going on. It's like, it's not a luxury that restaurant managers have because it would be great. Like, I can't tell you when I was running restaurants, how many days I sat down at like an eight top and I said, okay, I'm going to work on this thing. And then three people called out. And then next thing you know, boom, I'm not working on that thing. Right. Like I'm going to find the three people to the backfill, the three people who didn't come in today. So it's just, you know, I think that's one of our biggest enemies is that we're always on, we're always open and you really have to be disciplined at a leadership level. And we also have to think about it too from our GMs and our DMs as well, because they're always dealing with customers is making sure that these managers are getting some amount of time, an office day, a week where they don't have to run shifts. They can just think, yes. and maybe that's one quarter where they can actually like, I wanted to implement this plan. I wanted to fix this thing. And I thought about it every time it broke for the last six months, but I've literally never had five minutes to even go order the part, you know, because I had to get yep. a deal with this or that. Giving people some brain space to sit back because you can't build a culture under stress. You know, you need to think about it. You need to execute. You got to put plans in place. You got to start meeting with people. Yeah. And, and if you don't give people the brain space to do any of that, they'll never get it done. I agree. And that's one thing that I actually had a conversation about with one of our managers, Mariella's saying we need to carve out at least a half day admin, admin day for you every week. Uh, yeah. to be able to catch up on some things. And what does that entail? That entails, you know, she's got a new team and that entails her being able to lean on some of her, you know, junior managers. And uh, it'll be a good thing for her and for them. Um, but yeah, I, I liked hearing that because this was a conversation I just had this Friday. Well, yeah. And I mean, the other thing too is, and this is a big thing that's in our software that we really promote. And, uh, but is delegation, man. Like, you know, like the captain of a ship doesn't run down to the engine room and throw coal in the, uh, the engine and run back up and steer the ship, right? Like, you, like restaurant managers, one of the things I think make great restaurant managers is people who can delegate uh, effectively and hold people accountable effectively. And I know so many people that are like type A's just go, well, it'll take me longer to explain how to do this than it is just for me to do it. And I'm so busy, but like, you know, when you can actually delegate some of these tasks off your plate, you're just really investing in your team. And ultimately, yeah, it will take more in the short. It's that short term versus long term thinking. I'm going to put that into a, a commercial for the podcast because 
you know, the short-term thinking guy is I don't have time to teach this person how to do this thing because it will take too much time right now. And the long-term thinking guy is it will take me a week to train this guy how to do whatever this thing is, but then I will never have to do it again while this guy works here. So, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and then what does that free me up to do that's more important than this? You know, yep. manual, whatever. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I really, you know, it's funny, you know, you hear about long-term, you always hear people talking about long-term, short-term thinking when it comes to like CEOs and financials and the markets and, you know, we're just working for this quarter versus the next year. And I think in the restaurant industry, because we have such high levels of turnover, not you excluded, but like in general, we have such high turnover. People don't want to make those investments because they don't think the person's going to be there very long. Right. Whereas if you just built a culture that people would want to stay at, then, you know, you don't have to deal with so much of that stuff. Yeah, yeah I agree. Interesting. All right. We're at war story time. So uh, last question is war story. Give us a funny, cringeworthy, I can't believe we got through it story. Doesn't have to be with your current business. Could be any time in your career. Just one of those things where like, you know, just, oh my gosh. Or like, I can't believe that happened. Or how did we get through it type of thing? It was this last um, holiday season. We were uh, asked to fulfill uh, a $7,000 catering order um, for uh, a railway company. And I was in Vancouver. It came in last minute. I was in Vancouver, spent time with my family. And we we're planning on being closed uh, on this particular day. It was Christmas Eve and for right. Christmas Day. And for Christmas Day. So I asked the team, I said, team, can we execute this? And we all came together and the day before it was supposed to be prepared. Um, one of our team members, uh, got COVID and oh. everybody had to get tested. Half the team got COVID. So we had less people to execute this already challenging order. Um, but we got it done and I flew back early, um, from Vancouver to Toronto to help knowing that our team was down, but, uh, that was, that was really interesting. Uh, everything we've had to navigate around the pandemic. And I think that might be it too. It's just like how resilient restaurateurs are. Um, very few industries uh, got uh, hurt um, by the pandemic as much as uh, the restaurant industry. Uh, but we uh, fight to see another day and, and we're here. We're back on our feet. We're growing. And um, anybody listening, um, you know, my... My, my parents blessed and cursed me with this name. Um, easy to find, which is a good thing. So it's uh, Michelle Falcon anywhere. If you go to my website, michellefalcon.com, um, you know, reach out to me. I, I would love to hear your stories, your challenges, your, you know, things that you're trying to find a solution for. Uh, and maybe I can help. Cool. And I'll put your web, you, yeah, we'll talk about it. I'll put links to the website, your website, and then also the restaurant's website, because I'm sure you're looking for people and um you know to join the teams in the new stores so i'll i'll, I'll link to all that in the show notes yes absolutely well, michelle thank you so much for taking the time apologize for going over a little bit here and no, thank you I've guys for coming to the show and we'll be back soon